cooperative and well, most of you are. <laughs> ah, all right. Good. Yeah, now I feel like we can have church. I feel close now. I was feeling a little lonely up here. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that we get to be a part of it. We're just so excited about your kingdom being advanced here on the earth. We're excited about seeing you lifted up and glorified and people's lives being changed. We're excited about our lives, our lives being changed by you, Lord. And we want to continue to allow that to happen. And Father, I just pray that you would stir up again that hunger and our first love in us. That we would not grow complacent and just content. But Lord, that you would stir up in our spirit that we would be hungry for the things of God. For the things of your kingdom. That your kingdom becomes our number one pursuit. And the things that matter to you become the things that matter to us. And Lord, we know that's people. So we thank you, Father, for the opportunity. We thank you that we are joint heirs with Christ. And we get to be partners with him in ministry. Because you sent us the Holy Spirit. And we're just so grateful to you, Father. And we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you. I don't know how much I'm going to get in today, but I'm going to start at least. And share with you a journey that I've been on for some time after I got saved. I shared with you... Um, in my testimony, a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago on Easter, that when I became a Christian, came to OSU and all the cool things that happened concerning my calculus two test and 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 how God just made Himself real to me in practical ways. And if you were not here, you, if you happen to not hear that, it is on the internet. Uh, you can listen to that that sermon, my testimony, and it's on Easter, Easter Sunday. I don't know what the date was, but just find that one in. Listen to that. But I want to continue because it didn't stop there. You know, God got my attention because I, I shared with you how I started having these thoughts. And I realized later that it was the Holy Spirit kind of setting me up. He was putting these thoughts in my head and I was, you know, following this track. But he said, you know, if, if God's not real, then then all this this church stuff and all this religious stuff is a waste of time. And I thought that's true. If God's not real, if there is no such thing as God, then what we're doing right now is a waste of time. Reading the Bible is a waste of time and that kind of thing. And so I started thinking, yeah, and before I got too set on that track, because I was thinking, wait a minute, this thing's all fake, then I need to be pursuing money. Because if God's not real, then money's king, right? And so, but then, before I got too far along that path in my thinking, he said, but if God is real, then wouldn't he deserve every part of your being? Wouldn't he deserve everything that you are? It's like, hmm, if there's a God, then that means he'd be the boss. And yes, he deserves everything. And then it was shortly after that was when the Calculus 2 situation happened. And so you could see how that would make a big impact in my life. I realized, whoa. I mean, I knew he was real. It didn't take that for me to believe in God. I was already a Christian. I got spirit-filled uh, three days after I was uh, born again. Uh, evidence speaking in tongues. I got water baptized well, at the same time. And so I was already on my way. I was in love with Jesus 
pursuing him, but it was like the Lord really wanted to get a hold of me. I used to be ashamed of my testimony because I didn't have the kind of testimony that would ooh and ah people. You know, like I couldn't tell you that, yeah, I was doing drugs and I was a drug dealer and I was all this and this and this and this. I was a pimp and had these women. You know, I didn't have those kind of te- I didn't have that kind of testimonies. But when I'd watch Christian TV, those are the kind of testimonies that I thought were really cool. You know, the gangbangers that used to kill people and now they love Jesus. You know, and um, and I, I compared those kind of testimonies to my testimony. I grew up uh, pretty much a single parent home. Parents were divorced. I mean, that was not a happy situation, but I never rebelled. I loved my parents. I obeyed them. I was a good kid. I was good. I was considered a good kid by my parents and I was a good kid considered, I mean, considered a good kid by society. I was a good kid. And then I get convicted of my sin, realize my sinfulness, realize that I'm going to hell. The same hell that the drug dealers and the murders are going to. I was going to that same place. I realized that conviction came into my heart and I gave my life to Jesus. So, um, and there was a dramatic change in my life, but compared to the drug dealer, the game banger, Good kid who gets saved. There wasn't a lot of flash and bang and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember I used to be ashamed of my testimony because it's like, that's boring. Who, who cares about that? And I remember there was a time when I was very tempted. And then this may sound silly because think about it, it is kind of silly. But I was tempted to go out and get into drugs and that kind of stuff. Then repent and then be able to give God more glory. Doesn't that sound kind of silly? <laughs> but, yeah, it was a lie of the devil. But it was because I wanted to glorify him. And so I wanted to get people's attention in such a way that they'd say, man, God really did a lot in your life because look what you, he took you out of drugs and everything. And I used to think that that was it. God delivered you from drugs. But you know what I come to realize? That a person who thinks they're okay, who's a decently good person, so to speak, but then realizes their need for Jesus Christ, that's a powerful testimony. I realize that. Right, Greg? You know, someone who who grew up in a good situation, who didn't come out of a dysfunctional family. I mean, praise God for that. But praise God for the kids who don't have to go through all that mess. But they realize, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. I praise God for that. And I used to talk. I had a friend who in Perry. Uh, you remember, Jared, when we used to do the um, that Bible study? I can't remember. It was at your house, actually. And um, we did a Bible study with some men and there was one guy there and he came out of drugs and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when I share my testimony, he told he kind of got my face, not in a bad way, but he said, CJ, the kind of testimony you have is what I want my kids to have. I don't want them to have my kind of testimony. I thought, hmm, me too, brother. (laughs) Me too. I want my kids to have testimony where they grew up in a good home. They realize their need for Christ. And they gave their life to him. They didn't have to go out and do the stupid stuff. So anyway, um, so as I got saved and I started walking, I just fell in love with him. Money was my God before, but Jesus became my passion. When I got saved, I just got radically saved. And I got hungry for the word and began to read it and began to read it and began to read it. And then I came across one faithful day. And I shared this scripture many times because it's one of my favorite scriptures. But it's in John chapter 14. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 14, verse 12. I really don't need to turn there, but I am anyway. 
Now, some of the things I share, I may not share them in necessarily chronological order because I don't remember the order that it happened in. But anyway, John 14, verse 12, it says, most assuredly. Now, this should be in the red, red letters, red letter edition. This is Jesus talking. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, talking to the disciples, he who believes in me. Actually, he's talking to whoever's around, because a lot of times when Jesus was going places, there were a lot of people around him. But he said, most assuredly, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my I go to my father. Now, the word works here is talking about the miracles, the things that Jesus did, the miracles that Jesus did. He said, those who believe in me, the miracles that I do, shall you do also even and even greater works shall you do. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Actually, I'm not going to have you turn to all these for the sake of time. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Jesus went about preaching the kingdom and healing. Preaching the kingdom and healing. There's one place I want you to turn is Matthew chapter 12. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, 38. We'll go ahead and turn to Mark, or Matthew chapter 12. But I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, verse 38 real quick. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Everyone say power. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, what kind of good things did Jesus do? Now, looking at Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse 9. Now, when Jesus had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were asking him this because they wanted to be able to accuse him. They were trying to set him up, have a reason to do away with him. Verse 11. Then Jesus said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. In other words, now, which one of you, if your sheep falls into a hole on the Sabbath, are you not going to get the sheep out? And see, getting that sheep out would be considered work, which would be considered violating the Sabbath because you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And that's what they were. They were asking him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? So they're asking that. So Jesus asked him this question. Verse 12. How much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, what is he talking about good? And he goes on, verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And then looking down in verse 15. 
But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. So they ask, are you supposed to do these kinds of things? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Because according to their rules, that would be violating the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, which one of you, if you have a sheep fall, are you going to get him out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? And of course, they didn't answer him. He says, yes, it is good. It is, it is, um, what does he say? How much, Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then the, to do good, which was be healed. He healed the man, right? So Jesus went about who was anointed of God, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And as you look in the New Testament and you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you see the kinds of things that he did. And I remember, as I, you know, as I was growing the Lord and everything, I remember um, reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says, um, actually, I'm going to go ahead and turn there, because if I start trying to quote it, I might mess it up. So Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read it real quick. Excuse me, Romans chapter 12. Thank you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the God, will of God is, that which is good, perfect, perfect, uh, good, acceptable, and perfect. Remember the Holy Spirit, when I came across this verse, actually, he told me, I want you to turn there, and I turned there. And what he was telling me to do, I believe, was he... He said, I want you to start over. In other words, all the thinking that I had, the Bible knowledge that I had and everything, he said, I want you to start over. Because what happens is, is we read the Bible through our lens of what we believe and what we've been taught. In other words, if I don't believe that miracles are for today, if I've been taught that they are not for today, then when I read the Bible, I'm going to read and interpret it through that lens of what I've been taught. Are you with me? And now I didn't believe that, but I had some other beliefs. I had all kinds of beliefs and things I've been taught. Now I grew up in a denominational church. Um, I really don't know if, uh, that. I don't know what they believe as far as the gifts because I don't remember them talking about it because I wasn't paying attention. <clears throat> so if they talked against it, I didn't hear it. So that was good. But I don't. Uh... But anyway. I had all these thoughts and the Lord was saying, I want you to start over. It's like he was inviting me to read his word and see it for what it said. And then that's when I came across that verse in in John chapter 14, 12. The works that I do shall you do also because I've read that before. I had read that verse before, but I never saw it as applying to me. I just saw it as a verse. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also. And I just kind of read through it and that kind of thing. But the Lord said, look. So when I came across that verse, it's like he was saying, CJ, you believe in me. Keep believing me. Therefore, you will do the same things that I'm doing. You will do them. And it started getting my attention. And I remember reading this and I started thinking, wow, look what Jesus did. And I remember one time the Holy Spirit said, read the Gospels and pay attention to Jesus. 
Look at him. Watch what he did. And as I was reading the Gospels of Jesus, or the Gospels, and looking at Jesus, I saw what he was doing. And it just seemed like his attitude, he was very aggressive when it came to just loving on people. When it came to setting people free, when it came to healing people, he was very aggressive in his attitude, his compassion. It wasn't like a side thing. In other words, he wasn't about something. And then when people came up to ask to be healed or whatever, that was a side issue. That was the issue. That was it. That's what he did. He went about proclaiming the gospel. And when he did that, it says he preached, he taught, and he demonstrated. So the gospel is something that should be demonstrated. Not just talked about. Remember, Paul says, I did not come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but I came in demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm paraphrasing. But when you look in the New Testament, the gospel, the full gospel, and we're a full gospel church, the full gospel will include and have a big part of it being the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Do we not believe in the Holy Spirit? Do we? Do we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today? When Jesus said, those who believe in me, the works that I do shall he do also. Of course, that's he and she shall do also in greater works. But does that include you? After you get your theological degree. Good, because I wouldn't qualify because I don't have one, by the way. As, as the Lord was showing me these things, I remember when I came across that verse and I was just reading and I was just getting fired up and excited. And I, and fortunately I had some friends. I had a friend, John, um, not um, John Mackley, John Mackley. Um, we'd get together and talk and then Rob Shea, my brother-in-law, we'd get the, the three of us would get together and talk. And every time we would finish, we'd get together and just, just talk. And when they would leave, I'd be so frustrated because I'd be so fired up. I'd be just so Oh, God, because what we talk about is this passage. These are the things that we're supposed to be doing. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you shall do these things. Jesus said, look what Jesus did. We're, and Jesus said to his disciples, he said, as the father has sent me, so I send. Remember, he said that to his disciples, as the father has sent me, so I send you, us. And we see how the father sent Jesus. We see what he did. And remember in, in when Jesus is um, Romans, not Romans, Matthew chapter 10. Turn there. Matthew chapter 10. And in the beginning of verse 10, it talks about or chapter 10 talks about Jesus gathering his disciples. In verse 1, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And now he named them, all the twelve. And then in verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, so he's telling them they had a specific mission to go to the Israelites first. Then he says, As you go, verse 7, Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach, saying, excuse me, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said, 
heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Basically, he's saying, preach and demonstrate. Preach and demonstrate. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that of power to change people's lives. But unfortunately, in America, we've reduced it to having the best argument. When it comes to an encounter, maybe with a Muslim or a Hindu or or whatever, if we have the best argument, if we can get our scriptures in line and, and share the right scriptures and be persuasive in our argument, then we can convince someone to become a Christian. And that's pretty much what we do in America. Now, of course, I'm overgeneralizing, but simply put, that's kind of what the gospel has become. Words. But Jesus, he preached and he taught and he did something. The power of God was released into their situation to set people free. And the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, but he's changed today, but he's going to be the same next time. Is that true or not? Okay, that's not true, but we live that way. Do we really believe that Jesus is the same today? And do you believe that his heart that he had for people back then is the same today? Do you believe he still has a heart for people? And remember when the Bible says that Jesus despised the cross, you know, he despised the shame of the cross, I'm paraphrasing. But the, because of the joy he had set before him. In other words, the joy, he's willing to put up and endure the cross because of the joy that was going to come after it. In other words, I have to do this so I can get this. And that which he was going to get because of the cross was us. Was people being able to be restored back to God, to be saved, healed, delivered, and all that kind of, all the good stuff. So he was willing to endure the cross for that. I remember when he said, it was a prophetic declaration. He who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works shall he do because I go to the Father. Now imagine how excited Jesus was to know that, see, one of him was on the earth to demonstrate God's kingdom. And then it multiplied to 12. He said, all right, 12. Here's what I want you to do. Go and do the stuff. The things you saw me do, setting people free, loving on them, I want you to do that. And then it said he sent the 72 or the 70, two by two, whichever that was. And then when he died and he told them and he was resurrected. And the last thing he said, he said, now go into all the world. He said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, preach the gospel. Tell people the good news and make disciples Teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. And I believe that everything includes the gospel of the kingdom, which includes healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead. Are you with me so far? Now, some people get stumped on and get, they park on, well, is everybody supposed to be healed? Why, don't, why doesn't everybody get healed? And when I figure that out, I'll let you know. But here's my thing. I don't understand all that, but I believe with all my heart that there are supposed to be more miracles than we are experiencing. There are supposed to be more demonstrations of God's power in our midst than we are experiencing. But what happens, what can happen, and what tends to happen is when we don't see this stuff happen, we pray for the sick and they don't get healed. We pray and we're not seeing things happen. Then we begin to form theologies to make that okay. 
Well, the reason why they didn't get healed, because it's not God's timing. Well, the reason why they didn't get healed, because God doesn't want them. He's trying to teach them something. And we begin to form these theologies. I do not believe that's, that's biblical. I do not believe that God puts a sickness on somebody to teach them character. He said he sent his word. He sent the Holy Spirit to teach us. And plus, he made provision for us to be healed. So why is he going to make provision for something for us to be healed, but then use sickness to teach us? Because if that's the way it's going to work, then that's going to cause confusion. Then how can we ever stand in faith? Are you with me? See, a lot of times the things we believe don't make sense if we follow them through. But we're comfortable in believing them because they make it easier to accept the situations around us. And we have to be careful not to let comfort, our own comfort, be our driving force. But when we don't see the things happening the way they're supposed to, or the way they're modeled by Jesus, what should, our response should be is, God, help me to understand. God, I'm hungry to understand your ways more. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Too many of our theologies don't require faith, but they undermine faith. See, if I believe it's God, well, God will heal him when he wants to. Well, then I can say, well, God can save him when he wants to. He doesn't need me to preach. If he wants him saved, he'll preach to him. Is that the way God ordained it? Jesus said, you go into all the world. Preach the gospel. He told his disciples, you go proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the leper, freely you ever see, freely give. He ordained it so that we, those of us who have been redeemed, those of us who have received and committed our lives to Jesus, we are supposed to be his representatives. We are supposed to go and lay hands on the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Why am I making such a big deal of this? For one reason, because it's a big deal. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the gospel of this word that we believe. And for us to believe that the gospel is just words, that's a false gospel. That is not the gospel that Jesus preached or represented. That's the gospel that Paul preached or represented. That's the gospel we've seemed to embrace or we're okay with. And see, I've become not okay with this. Because when I see people, you know, when, when you work in the church for as many years as I have, which has been a couple at least. And I've been working for, in New Covenant Fellowship since I started part-time in 1988. Full-time in 89. So all these years... I've been blessed and I'm, I appreciate God. I'm not complaining one bit. But my workplace is here. It has been for a number of years. I don't have many opportunities to witness to my fellow employees to get them saved. Because they already are, in case you didn't get it. But as I've made opportunities to go out into the world... I've become more aware of how horrible situations and conditions are in people's lives out there. 
It is horrible. The dysfunction that people live in, the abuse that people have suffered and encountered, the things they go through. See, when we get saved and and maybe many of us came out of bad situations, you know, um, Todd and and, uh, Melinda sharing their testimony, they grew up in a bad situation. But God has redeemed and saved and set them free and all these wonderful things, and and they're not part of that situation anymore. And many of us might have have a similar uh, testimony. But what can happen is, is we can forget how bad it really is out there in the world where there's no hope. But when you encounter people who come from horrendous abuse or just stuff, and I realize these people are not going to be helped by a gospel of words. These people are not going to be helped by persuasive argument. Because their world is so messed up and things are so turned upside down. And I'm going to go talk to them. Oh, God loves you. He's like, really? God loves me. My dad just beat me this morning. And he beat me last night. He beat me the night before. He beat me the night before. But God loves me, right? That's what you're trying to tell me? And you want to try to argue with that? Somehow, I found myself over the years... In the company of prisoners. I don't know how that happened. That was not intentional. Although I realized my major was corrections. I didn't realize that until after I was doing prison ministry. I realized I was tricked. So I've come across men whose backgrounds I cannot relate to. I cannot say, brother, I, I can relate. Because that was how, this is how I lived and I can see what you're experiencing. Or troubled kids who um, lived in abusive situations and end up prison, in prison all their adult lives and all that kind of stuff. Drug dealers, drug users, all this kind of stuff. I've found myself in the company of many people like this. And the only thing that gives me courage to hang out with people like that is knowing that I serve a Jesus who can do something radically about their situation. That's the only thing, because if I realize that all I have is some words to try to talk them into changing the situation, forget that. But it is so encouraging. As I as, as the Lord started showing me these things and I realized, you know what? Jesus said, I believe in him, so I should do the same things he did. And as John and I were talking, and me, John, and Rob were talking more and more and more, and I said, is it just me? I mean, anybody else tired of just talking about this stuff? Because we talk about it, and I just get so fired up, so full of passion. It's like, oh, God, yes, you're so awesome. And, and of course, John had testimonies because he actually did this stuff. Talking about John uh, Mackley. I said, I'm tired of talking about this. I want to do it. I said, let's go out and do it. And he said, you know what? Langston's been on my heart. Langston, Oklahoma. I said, let's go to Langston. I said, that's perfect. Nobody knows us there. We'll go there. If it didn't work, we come back. We tell no one. <laughs> Our little secret. So I had this all figured out. Perfect plan. But one thing I realized, the gospel works. Jesus is real. We started going out there, and we had no clue what we were going to do. I remember walking up to our first house. 
Now, those of you, I don't know if it's still this way, but at one point, I'm sure it still is pretty much. But Langston is a predominantly black town, historically and currently. And out of the three of us, I was the only man of color. I was the only black one amongst us. Me, Rob, and John. And so as we're walking up to this house, and I said, wait a minute, what do we say? What do we do? And we're standing in the driveway trying to figure out, because we hadn't thought this through. Drove all the way to Langston, then we didn't know what we were going to do. We said, well, we can ask them, hey, does anybody have anybody sick in the house we can pray for? Yeah, that, yeah, we'll do that. Now, I'm the youngest out of the three, but who gets pushed to the front? Because of their color, I think. I think they said to me, hey, they'll understand you. So anyway, go knock on the door sheepishly, shaken, nervous, scared. But we were willing, willing to take risks because we believe what this word says. So it's like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to look like an idiot. But I believe that this is true. So we're going to try it. We got to try it. We got to try it. Knocked on the door. And I don't remember what happened to the first house or the second, whatever. But I remember that we got more invitations and more acceptance than we did rejection. More people let us pray for them than more people turn us away. We begin to see people get healed. I remember Rob and now Rob and John, they operate in the prophetic quite a bit. So here I am with two prophets and it was awesome. It was so awesome. We start praying for people. We say, hey, do you have anybody in your house that's sick that we could pray for? We believe God would like to heal them. We'd like to pray for you. So many of them would be people we'd get to pray for them right there. So as we're laying hands on them, praying for them, then all of a sudden... The gifts start operating. And Rob would say, or John would say, you know, the Lord's showing me this and this and this. Pretty groovy music, huh? (laughs) And so they begin to have words of knowledge, prophetic words and this and that. People were getting healed. And all of a sudden, they were being told things that only they knew. Say, how did you know that? How did you know that? And I remember one house we went to, and uh, we ended up becoming friends with this family. They were from Liberia, an African family from Liberia. And every week we'd go back, we'd start at their house and meet with these people. And sometimes they'd feed us, and that was kind of our motivation for going over there. I have to confess. But every time we'd go over there, and there's this family, there was a, uh, we would just have a good time talking and everything. And, and uh, some of them got healed. That's how the connection was established. But there was a lady that would sit there, an older lady that would sit there and she would not move. She would not. And her facial expression was very somber. You know, you smile at her. Hi, how you doing? You know, kind of be nice. And she just look at you like that. Very intimidating. So you didn't want to look in her direction. But every time, week after week, week after week, she'd sit there. Well, actually, it wasn't too many weeks. I take that back. First couple of times we noticed that. And then uh, on our way there. John said, you know what? Have you noticed that lady? I'm like, yeah, we've noticed her. So it's like, okay, it's time to do something about that situation. And so we're praying. And and I remember John saying, ma'am, can we pray for you? And she reluctantly came and sat down. So we start praying for her. I remember John was laying hands on her directly. I was behind John and Rob was behind me. Lays hands and we start praying for her. And then Rob whispers in my ear, she's suffering from nightmares. Now, Rob heard me, and I know John couldn't hear me because John was talking. 
And then John said, as soon as Rob said that, John said, the Lord has shown me that you're suffering from some kind of nightmares. So I'm like, whoa, I'm hearing this in stereo. You know, he's saying, he said, this is pretty cool. Well, anyway, she had just recently come out of a war-torn country. I mean, people in front of her dying. And so she had these images, these nightmares that were constantly plaguing her. And, of course, yes, that was true. What we prayed for, she was set free. And then the times we would see her after that, she had a big, beautiful smile on her face every time we saw her. And I thought, you know what? It's interesting because we didn't know this lady. We didn't know these people. We took risk, willing to make ourselves vulnerable to meet total strangers. And then lives started changing. Remember this one time we knocked on one door and a lady answered the door. And uh, we tell her, hey, we're Christians. We want to know if there's anybody in your house we could pray for. She says, oh, come on in. So we go in. They had, remember, they had a big screen TV. And um, her husband came out, and he looked at us. He was not as welcoming as his wife was. Say, so, hey, how you doing? And he kind of gave us that look, you know, like salesman trying to sell you something that you don't want. That's how he was looking at us. And we said, hey, brother, we're just Christians and want to pray, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I don't need prayer. I don't need prayer. I don't want prayer or something like that. And I could tell he was definitely shut down. Wanted nothing to do with us. And then at the time, uh, the president, I can't remember which one it was. Still can't remember which one. But the president came on and he was talking. So all of our attention was directed to the TV. And so he's talking. And then I'm like, oh, wow, what about this? And so then we start talking to the brother. And then we, we forget about the prayer and all that kind of thing. And so we're talking. We're just talking, 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 talking. And all of a sudden he opens up his heart and lets down his guard and everything. And we're about to, I say, hey, brother, you mind if we pray for you? Oh, yeah, sure, you can pray for me. So what's going on? He had been in the hospital, lost a lot of weight. They didn't know what was going on. Sick, in and out of the hospital, losing weight, wasn't feeling good. We prayed for him. Left. Next week we came back. He wasn't home. Two weeks later we came back and we saw him. Not only was he healed, but he started gaining his weight back. And the man was on fire. Spiritually, not physically. But then we realized he was a pastor of a small church there in Langston. And it was just so encouraging because God healed him, encouraged him, and no telling what kind of impact he was going to have on his church. I remember one time we were, um, we'd gone there week after week after week, met a lot of relationships, a lot of people. It was just fun and exciting. Trey, do you remember going to Langston? Trey and Bryant, my two older ones at the time, even though they were little. How, how old were you, you remember? Seven, six, eight. You remember? Eleven, twelve. That's right, because it was eleven and twelve when I started taking my boys with me. So Trey and Brian would take turns uh, going with me and us. And, and it was funny because the thing became after we finished, we stopped by that convenience store and got the fried chicken. And oh yeah. <laughs> and I remember one time we met the mayor of the town, got to meet him, and we were going to have a meeting, try to establish a meeting with him and. Um, Actually, it was the pastor, and the mayor was his friend. We were going to try to meet with all the pastors, try to get them together, and we didn't know what we were doing, but we were trying to do something. Anyway, we're at this church, and we were waiting for the mayor. We had met him. His name was Mike, and his wife came. He wasn't there. I said, man, where's Mike? Where's your husband? Oh, he's at home. He's not feeling well. He's having these headaches, had these headaches for days, and I guess he'd have these, I think they were cluster headaches, but I'm not sure, but they would hit him and just be on him for days at a time, and it was one of those periods where he was having that situation. So he was out, but I guess she came to kind of represent him and listen to what we had to say and everything. And I said, well, can we go pray for him? She's like, 
by all means, he would appreciate that. So I like what Rob said. He said, he said, let's go get this guy healed and then go get our chicken. Like, hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Because the chicken became our tradition. You know, let's go pray for healing, eat our chicken. So we go to this guy's house. And I think Bryant was with me at this time. I think Bryant was on this trip. Me, Bryant, John, and Rob. We go to the guy's house. It's dark in his house. He lets us in. We sit on the couch watching TV. And he said, man, are you in pain? I said, oh, man, a lot of pain. We started praying for him. I remember Bryant laying hands on him. Prayed for him. And all of a sudden, I'm watching him, uh, Mike, the guy we're praying for. All of a sudden, his hands start going up. Like that. And I said, I said, Mike, how's it going? He said, great. You know, great. I said, do you have any more pain? He said, no more pain. He was healed right there. And it was like, all right, time to go get some chicken. And over and over, and I remember I'll tell one more situation. Is as the Holy Spirit was teaching me this, these things, um, not everybody I laid hands on was healed, but I got to see more healed than I was before because I wasn't praying for anybody. And it was so exciting to see someone's condition that was grim at one point, praying for them, seeing them get healed, and their whole situation changing. And it's incredible to see that. And I remember one time, um, I was, what the Lord was teaching me was, because I had this teaching, and I don't know where I got it from, but I had developed it and I even taught it, that I had to be led by the Holy Spirit. Before I could do something. In other words, if I saw this brother right here and he was sick, if the Holy Spirit didn't lead me to pray for him, then I couldn't pray for him because it had to be led by the Spirit. And so if I saw him that he was sick, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't lead me, then I couldn't reach out and pray for him because that's presumption. And see, that was one of those things that got in my head, but the Holy Spirit was reteaching that. He was showing me that there's different ways and there's a whole teaching on it. There's different ways to be led by the Spirit. Remember, Jesus was moved with compassion. Remember that? He looked at a situation and was moved with compassion, and he healed the sick. Well, I feel like that's what the Lord was showing me. You know, I see someone, and I'm, man, I want man, I like to see something happen in that situation. And I remember I was in this situation. I've shared this before, but I was spending time at a hotel, not because Lisa kicked me out, but because I was just wanting to just have some time with the Lord. So I... Uh, Booked a hotel or stayed in a hotel overnight and was just praying, fasting, that kind of thing. When I went down to my vehicle to get some stuff out of the car, I noticed this scene right out of a movie. It was, uh, it was uh, Motel 6 on the second floor on the balcony area. There was a bunch of guys drinking, cussing, partying, loud music and everything. I mean, just like a scene right out of a college movie. It's like, wow, it's just like on TV. And they were just being loud and obnoxious. And I thought, you know, the people who are trying to sleep probably don't appreciate what they're doing. You know, all that loud noise and everything. But I was just sitting there in my car watching them. And I said in my heart, man, I'd like to do something about that. And I had no idea what, but I wanted to do something. I wanted to see their lives impacted. And the Holy Spirit said, do something. I said, what do you mean? You mean I can? He said, do something. And he reminded me in his word, it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Lo, I will be with you. Go, I will be with you. Go, I will be with you. A lot of times we're not experiencing him being with us because we're not going anywhere. He said, do something. And it startled me because I was, 
I was getting comfort in the fact that I wasn't being led, so therefore I didn't have to do anything. Even though I wanted to do something, I was safe because I don't have to do anything. But he removed that. He said, do something. I said, okay. And then I noticed there was a man up there or a young man that had an air boot or one of those, you know, those things that you can remove, one of those boots. So I locked in on that. So I walked up there. Well, I didn't walk up there. I, I prayed in tongues a whole bunch at first. <laughs> I rebuked the spirit of fear and all his cousins. And then I finally got the nerve and I, I went up there. Now, I don't recommend a person going by themselves into these kind of situations, but I did it anyway. Okay. I walked up there and I walked past all these guys and I was making my way towards this one guy who had this boot on. And so I walked through all these guys and I said, hey, what's up? And he looked at me and I said, what's going on? I said, man, what happened to your leg? And he said, oh, and this was a lacrosse team or a club or whatever. And he had an injury uh, due to lacrosse. And so he told me he heard it and all that kind of stuff. I said, oh, man, I said, that's pretty rough. He goes, yeah, I can't play, blah, blah, blah. And they have, they're drinking, you know, beer and everything, cussing, all that kind of stuff. Now I don't really have the attention of everybody yet. It's just me and this guy and the two guys that he's with. And I said, hey, I was wondering if I could pray for you. I believe God would like to heal you. And he said, sure. Rats. <laughs> if he had said no, it would have been easy. It would have been all good. Well, be blessed and I'm on my way. He said, sure. And so I said, well, let's go in here because it's real loud. Let's go into one of the rooms so it could be quiet. Well, by this point, everybody's paying attention. So we go in the room and everybody follows behind. So the fear factor, fear level goes way up. You know, all fear's cousins came back on me. You know, I was afraid. But then I, I, I told him, I explained some things to him. And then I, um, I prayed for him. Prayed for him. And here's where me and the Holy Spirit went separate ways. And to this day, I regret it. But I felt like, and I knew if I would have, I really believe I would have seen something happen. But what I was supposed to tell him is, because I asked him, I said, can you remove that? And he said, yes. I was supposed to tell him to take it off and try out his leg. But I chickened out. Because all these guys were around me. Everybody was waiting. And I chickened out. Because since that time I've done that, prayed for people, I say, can you remove that, do this, take it off, check out your leg. And there's instant, you know, there's a, a, a manifestation right there. And it's pretty cool when you see that. And I said, when you get home, check it out. Safe route. And he said, okay, yeah, I sure will. I sure will. Well, I said, well, you guys be blessed. And I left and everything. And I went back to my room and I was like, man. Chickened out. But here's what happened. And here's the thing that encouraged me. Remember how loud it was, obnoxious, cussing, partying, all this kind of... I mean, you can imagine a bunch of college guys drinking. You can imagine the stuff that was going on. I realized that I wanted to do something. I wanted to tell somebody something or I can't remember why I needed to go back over there. But I went back over there. And when I went back on that side of the hotel, it was totally quiet. As I was walking by the rooms, I could see guys in the rooms quietly talking. It's like, what? And I went by, because they had the curtains open. I walked by the next room, and I see guys in there, and then a lot of people are gone. And I go over and talk to the one guy and told him whatever, and I said, where's everybody? He said, oh, they got tired of hanging around here, so they wanted to go party somewhere else. The atmosphere totally changed. 
And then I realized what happened. That when we, as representatives of God's kingdom, when we invite him into a situation, he shows up. And even though I really didn't know what I was doing, and I even chickened out on, you know, telling this guy, hey, check it out right there. God still showed up. And I don't know the impact that these that was had that happened on these guys lives simply because I went and tried something. And see, when I said I want to do something, I wanted to make a difference. But I didn't know how. So I was doing what I could. And I'm going to share more in a couple of weeks. We have a a guest next week coming. But here's the point I want to encourage you with. The gospel that Jesus came to preach to us and leave us with and he wants us to to propagate is the gospel of power. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. And remember, he told his disciples, do not go until you receive. Wait for the promise. Don't go without the power. Stay. Heal. Stay. Until you get the power. They got the power. Boom. Did they get it? We see they got it. And man, they went out. And the power is not just praying in tongues. By the way. And so what I want to encourage you with. Is to cry out to God for passion. Because with the busyness of life, you know, school, work, family, all these things, we can get so complacent where we just settle in to just comfortable. And what I want to encourage you with today is to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up in you a passion, a hunger for his kingdom, for his gospel. Say, God, I'm not satisfied. I don't want to be satisfied anymore. I want to move in the things that you have for me. Because there are people out there who need what you have. They need it desperately. There's a book that I've been reading. I read it a long time ago and I'm reading it again. It's called When Heaven Invades Earth by Bill Johnson. I have only three copies out there and I'm ordering some more. But books like this, I remember when I got a hold of this book, and that was a whole miraculous story in of itself. But when I read this book... It so encouraged me because what this man is already doing is what God put in my heart. And that's to see the saints doing this stuff, to see everybody, not just the superstars, not just the the called or the whoever, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, but the saints doing the work of the ministry. That's you guys. That's us guys doing this stuff. And this will encourage you if you if you read this book, it'll encourage you, it'll challenge you. Because the main thing is our mindsets need to be changed. Our mindsets need to be changed. Stand with me.